possible. I'm very grateful to be here and to be able to present a few observations, uh, observations concerning French family portraits of the late 18th century and their rhetorical uh, strategies. <clears throat> In 1784, the 20-year-old French painter Louis Gauffier won the Prix de Rome with an ambitious composition representing the religious scene of Christ and the Canaanite woman, echoing 17th-century classical style and coloring. Together with David's student, Jean-Germain Drouet, he left Paris for Rome to start a career as a promising history painter, excelling in small-scale neoclassical images he sent regularly to France to be presented in the Academy's exhibitions. Six years later, in 1792, another emerging artist, Charles-Paul Landon, won the same prestigious prize with a slightly more dramatic painting depicting the martyrdom of Eleazar. But due to recent political events, he decided not to leave for Rome and continued working in Paris. The revolutionary changes in France, as well as their consequences for French institutions abroad, had a tremendous impact on artists' careers and the very nature of their commands and production. Both Gouffier and Landon chose to qu uh, two quite different ways to react to the unstable political context and the art market of the 1790s. Landon continued to produce a few history paintings following neoclassical principles before starting a career as an art critic and administrator at the turn of the century. Whereas Gouffier renounced completely the genre noble after he was forced to leave Rome. The hostile climate towards the French after the execution of Louis XVI, which culminated in the assassination of the French agent in Rome, Basseville, in 1793, led to a vast migration of French artists living and working in the city. Gouffier subsequently settled in Florence, where he established himself as a quite successful portrait and landscape painter. It is in this context of political and artistic incertitude that these artists created two rather different family portraits, which reflect both the specific situation of the painters and the political convictions of the sitters. There's, on the left, Charles-Paul Landon's representation of the Boursier family from 1791, an expression of loyalty to the king and queen of France. The second portrait features the family of André-François, Count Mio de Milito, who was appointed minister of France to Florence in 1795 and chose to sit for Louis Gauffier in order to commemorate this event. So we have two different families and two different painters whose fates contributed to the antagonistic formulas developed for these images. Trained as history painters, it is however revealing that these artists made their most explicit political statements through another genre. No other artistic medium seemed to respond more directly to the political and social changes of the French Revolution than portraiture. Through portraits, commissioners and artists were able to display their loyalties, their political and cultural convictions, as well as their personal achievements regarding either now lost past, a glorious present, or a promising future. Especially representations of the family unit, 
metaphor of the state, as well as the most intimate refuge of every individual, underline the apparently unavoidable association of political statement with expression of certain values and private life. Portraits, however, must always be considered as the result of individual choices situated in a larger context in varying circumstances. This is why I will focus on these two case studies during my presentation. The central question of this paper is how family portraits can communicate political contents and what rhetorical strategies determine this kind of lecture. I would like to argue that both portraits use the same visual strategies in order to communicate their diverse underlying political statements. The incorporation of sculptures and paintings to link the sitters to absent figures and abstract ideas, the choice of a specific fashion and the display of a certain taste to emphasize either the monarchy or the republic, and the juxtaposition of different genres in order to favor a specific lecture of the family scene. It is the artist's and sitters' choices regarding these formal aspects to reveal their respective political position and the varying roles which are given to the representation of the family. If we start with a look at the earlier painting, representing the family of Pierre-Jean de Bourset, we must first of all be aware of the specific relation between the artist and the commissioner. Bourset was valet de chambre of the Dauphin Louis-Joseph until the young prince's death in 1789, and he continued to serve um, the crown during the first years of the revolution. Um, so he must have turned to Lo uh, London because of his loyalty to, court, to the court. The painter himself had been appointed officier de la maison de Monseigneur le Dauphin and was aspiring to become a member of the Royal Academy. Thus, the grand scale portrait of Bourset and his family must be considered as a double statement, both of the sitters and the artist, who even mentions his former position at court in his signature. I, unfortunately, I don't have um, a detail, of that, but there's his signature and he really mentions his um, official position at, at, courts in the, in the, at court in the signature. Um, London depicts uh, Monsieur and Madame Bourset with their four children in a rather intimate interior, windowless and firmly shut off from the outside by the closed door on the right blocked by a small tea or coffee service post on a guéridon. Where Madame Bourset and the eldest daughter attract the beholder's attention to the whole of the composition, the other figures point towards a series of objects directly referring to the portrait's underlying political content. The child on the woman's lap is reaching out for two oval frames, one surrounding the picture of the second dauphin, the other one empty, alluding to the deceased Prince Louis-Joseph. As Amy Freud has shown in a detailed analysis of this picture, the referential system of political symbols within the portrait is completed by a kind of domestic altar, like the expression so much is quoted here, draped <laughs> um, with a red tablecloth and crowned by a curtain following the tradition of the Baroque portrait, and accentuating two marble busts of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, as well as two white lilies, symbols of the Bourbon family. Another set of objects is depicted in the shadow of the table. 
a portrait of Bosse's uncle, a military officer and geographer who died in 1780, as well as the writings of the deceased relative prepared to be published by his nephew. This other portrait within the portrait, the books and the manuscripts, appear as a, a second reminder of the Bosset family's successful past linked to the system of court society. A quite similar visual strategy was employed by Bouffier, assigned to paint the Minister of France to Florence, André François, Count Mio de Milito, whose family portrait is also situated in an interior. The minister himself leans on a small table, while his wife and children sit in the center of the composition, accompanied on the left by Mio's brother, affectionately playing with his nephew. Contrary to the former portrait, this image is dedicated to republican values and principles, which are nevertheless communicated through the same rhetorical techniques as in the Bourset portrait. The abstract idea of republican virtue and state is embodied by two sculptures. Gouffier has inserted a statue of Minerva in the left corner of the background, serving here as a personification of the French Republic. The bust on the table at the far right shows the initials JB and refers thus to Junius Brutus, the legendary founder of the Roman Republic. This emblematic figure of republican history and ideals had been a popular subject in French history painting since the pre-revolutionary period and was most prominently interpreted by David in 1789, as we have just seen. <coughs> Gauffier, who had been part of the artistic circle of David and his students in Rome, was very much aware of the visual codes of republican imagery and used the commission for the French official to hint to his knowledge and skills as a history painter. Forced to leave behind this part of his artistic practice and financially depending on portrait and landscape commissions by his new clients in Florence, Gauffier used the Milito portrait also as an advertisement for his current specialty. During his first years in Florence, he was mainly working for English aristocrats, wishing to commemorate their stay in Italy with a traditional Grand Tour portrait. By inserting a big-scale landscape painting behind the Mio family, Gouffier not only pointed to his commissioner's official position as envoy in Florence, he also referred to his own uh, renown as a specialist for landscapes and Grand Tour portraits. From 1793 on, he created plenty of pictures representing Englishmen and aristocrats from other European countries, posing in front of the Florence skyline, easily recognizable in the Mio portrait, as well as in other examples. If we briefly compare the Mio portrait to the one of Baron Arnfeld, a Swedish envoy to the court of Naples, there is also a similarity which clarifies the use of sculpture in Gouffier's portraits. The Swedish aristocrat is entirely focused on the two sculptures set on a table in front of him. A marble bust representing the former king of Sweden, assassinated in 1792, and a bronze bust of Julius Caesar, whose tragic fate echoes the one of the Swedish monarch to whom the sitter was loyal. Like in the Mio portrait, 
the male sitter is visually connected to his own political convictions by the use of sculpture, and nothing seems to interrupt his contemplation of recent events. The tenderness towards his wife and children is certainly expressed in the Mio portrait, following the modern conception of the family bound by love and affection, but Mio's face is turned towards the representation of Brutus. His hand caresses his young daughter, but his mind seems to be occupied with state affairs and questions of politics. The interaction between the sitters and the sculptures inserted in their portraits um, illustrates certain aspects of male and female role models of the revolutionary period, both in the Mio portrait and in the image of the Bourset family. While the mothers are occupied with the children, reinforcing the intimacy of family life and the tenderness of family bonds, the fathers represent the official aspect of the family unit, linking the private life to the political system by contemplating emblematic symbols of either the republic or the monarchy, and in the case of Bourset, assuming responsibility for the moral education of their sons. The political statements of the two families are also communicated by the choices of dress and the style of the interior the sitters are represented in. London shows the Bourset family in a rather modest room, but nonetheless furnished with elements which allude to the fashion portrait conventions from the reign of Louis XVI. The flowers and the tea or coffee set on the table refer to a comfortable domestic life apart from revolutionary turmoil. The carpet with the flower design, the smaller children's dresses as well as the furniture correspond to the fashion and aristocratic portrait culture of the last years of the Ancien Régime. <coughs> Comparing this portrait to one of Marie Antoinette's official images with her children, one might even recognize certain parallels between the Queen's representation and the mise-en-scene of Madame Bourset and her children. It seems that the bluish-green cradle echoes the empty one in Marie Antoinette's picture, just like the gestures, positions and regards of the children and their mother appear quite alike in both paintings. Direct hint to the royal portrait or not, London follows here a portrait tradition that had been quite common among the French nobility during the last two decades. By choosing a rather intimate setting, filled with souvenirs of the family's past, as well as with objects of everyday life, the painting reminds of portraits in the mode of genre. We've already seen some examples of this kind of portraiture this morning. Just retake this picture. Um, though these images represent members of high aristocracy in an equally intimate home, and are employing a most unofficial narrative by showing them playing with their children and conversing with their spouses. As Philippe Bord has pointed out, this boundary crossing between portrait and genre painting illustrates the participation of French aristocrats in ideological and iconographic innovations through the exploration of private expressions of sentiment and domesticity. A member of the court Bourset might have willingly adopted this aristocratic mode of representation in order to demonstrate his loyalty to the underlying political system and the values he associated with it. 
Gouffier chose a quite different decorum for the Republican minister's family portrait. The sitter's costumes, the furniture, the rather accurate composition and the cool marble floor correspond to the aesthetics of the neoclassical history paintings Gouffier used to produce during the first years of his career. Being a visual reference to the contemporary depictions of antique history, generally referring to the examples of the Roman Republic, the clothes and the interior à la grecque underline the Mio uh, family's official status as clearly as the tricolor costume the minister is wearing or the black hat with a cockade on the table. Madame Mio's elegant white dress completes the political rhetoric of the image. The highly fashionable robe à la grecque was considered a perfect attire for young French women during the revolutionary era, and even for young loving mothers, as illustrated in a set of fashion sketches by Jean-Baptiste Le Sueur. The specific choice of fashion, artistic objects, and the use of compositional principles from other artistic genres constitute the rhetorical strategies through which these two portraits communicate the political content. Both of them emphasize the importance of the family in the revolutionary context but aiming for a quite different effect on the beholder. Neoclassical setting of the Mio family, filled with allusions to the new regime and republican themes, relies on the clear display and composition of contemporary, contemporary history painting and adds so to the official, official character and the suggested historical significance of the scene whereas Landon's portrait reflects more directly the intimacy of a private family life by introducing aspects of genre painting. <coughs> by doing so, the artist reinforces the touching and compassionate effect of the scene depicting a family in mourning. Mourning over the death of the prince, but also over the decline of the former political and social system. But in spite of the different circumstances of their creation and their antagonistic political contents, these two paintings reveal some general aspects concerning the functions and the visual rhetoric of family portraits in the late 18th century France. They both mirror the double status of the family as an intimate space for tenderness, sentiment and affection, represented mainly by the groups of women and their children, as well as the foundation of citizenship and political dedication incorporated by the men. Not exhibited at the Salon or other public exhi exhibitions, these two examples must primarily have served to reaffirm the family bonds in light of current political events and to display the sitters' loyalty towards a political system strongly connected to, the, to their personal history and social status. Thank you. Thank you.